everyone. Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of When I Grow Up. On today's episode, it's my pleasure to welcome my guest, Pastor Jason Min. Hey, Jason, how are you? I'm doing well. Good to be here. Oh, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I'm sure you are probably had a long day, so it's evening time for those of you that don't know. And um, I'm just so grateful for your time today. So thanks again. No, thank you for having me. And, you know, this it, we're both parents, so we know that 8 p.m. is, is when our day officially starts. Yes, right? that's correct. So. <laughs> that's correct. Um, so Pastor Jason is here to talk about his job and his career. But more than that, I'm so excited to hear your journey and story. Um, so he is a pastor of a church in Los Angeles. And I'm going to just stop right there because I'm going to let you talk. I know nothing. <laughs> Um, I actually like I I had to stop myself from Googling you because um, I try not to know things about people because I realize I'm a I'm not as inquisitive like if I know things beforehand. Mm. So <laughs> um, so Pastor Jason, um, can you tell me about what it is that you do? Yeah, um, I pastor a church in downtown Los Angeles. So, you know, we're really in the heart of Los Angeles um, called Citizens. Um, and we are a predominantly Asian American congregation. Um, we So uh, a little bit of a history about our church. Um, we Our church was originally... Um, uh, planted by uh, Pastor Alex Choi, and it mm-hmm. was uh, a church called Sovereign Grace back in, in 2007. Um, I came to be the worship director of that church in 2013. And then in 2019, we kind of relaunched the church. We uh, kind of replanted the church as citizens um, in a new location with a new vision and leadership. Um, so in some sense, um, you know, a lot of people say that we, you know, um, like this is a new church plan and I guess in some sense we are new, um, and we're, you know, even if you include that time as Sovereign Grace, we're still a fairly young church, Mm. I would say relative to other churches. Um, but yeah, like in, you know, in many ways there are, um, we have a lot of that same community from the Sovereign Grace days, but now um, also like brand new faces as well. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Um, mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Is it is it the same Sovereign? Is there only one Sovereign Grace? No, so that, that's it not no connection to the <laughs> to the other Sovereign Grace, the one with a lot of turmoil right now. So okay, um, well, I don't really know about oh, okay. that, but I guess what I was a- going to ask is, I some really good songs are written by a church called Sovereign Grace. Is that you guys? Uh, so we did release an album, but I'm, I think I'm pretty sure you're talking about the other. There's a mega church kind of <laughs> ministry called Sovereign Grace. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, it's okay. <laughs> Um, okay, well, that's wonderful. So I guess I was going to ask you about like pl- uh, church planting and stuff. Um, but what was that transition like for you then um, for from going from Sovereign Grace and kind of uh, quote unquote rebranding, I guess, to citizens? And um, why did you guys decide to do that? Yeah, so um, 
How much time do you have? A lot. I have <laughs> okay, all the good. time in the world. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, essentially, um, Sovereign Grace, uh, just to give you a little bit of history, Sovereign Grace was originally planted um, in L.A. to be a church um, for people who hated church and hated mm-hmm. pastors. Um, and there are a lot of them. <laughs> um, you know, it was kind of a... I would say it was like almost like the anti-church, mm-hmm. you know. Um, they met um, in a uh, like a small building in the arts district in LA before the arts district is what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, extremely diverse, multi-ethnic, um, no kind of fancy production, no fog machines, no lights, um, just solid gospel preaching, mm-hmm. um, and it was a it was a you know. A liturgical service and so it was kind of a um it was kind of a weird there was a weird dissonance because a lot of the people that were coming were young you know um like artists creatives but the service itself had kind of like an old school vibe to it um and you know basically that church grew uh, to become extremely large. Mm. Um, it was kind of when the big explosion of growth happened was in a time in LA when, um, a lot of, there was movement in a lot of, um, immigrant churches where kind of a lot of second generation Korean Americans were leaving their immigrant churches Mm -hmm. either because, you know, they kind of wanted to, um, find faith for themselves or because they were disillusioned mm. by the church or disillusioned by certain things they'd seen. And so the church kind of attracted a lot of those people. And then it kind of became a predominantly Asian American congregation. So I was hired as part of like a big kind of, um, uh, I guess like a big hiring, like, uh, yeah, spree that the church went on because okay. they needed help. And so I came, I was living in Philadelphia at the time. And so um, my wife and I, we uprooted our lives there. We were had been married one year. I had zero um, in, intention to be a pastor or go into ministry. My wife had zero intention of marrying a pastor or someone in ministry. Wow. But we were about nine months into marriage and um, this opportunity came up and, you know, one thing led to another and we were driving cross country to take this role. And so um, was that uh, was full time worship director of that church for um, from 2013 to 2019. Oh, wow. And, yeah. In 2019, um, really felt um, God kind of so I I joke around a lot that I have an existential crisis every 5 to 6 years and I had an existential crisis then and you know there was a part of me that felt like okay um you know and I'm sure we'll get into this later but you know my background is both in music and education mm. and so the question being like now we had you know um two kids and you know, was I going to continue to do worship and be in the kind of worship sphere? Was was I going to move to becoming a more traditional teaching pastor? 
um, there was a lot of questions. And so um, I kind of, I went back to finish seminary at that time. And in those first few months back in seminary in early 2019, we really, my wife and I really felt called to plant a church. And um, the church that we kind of were thinking about, it was kind of a crazy idea. And um, it was nothing like a traditional church. And, you know, they always say that every church plant comes out of some kind of holy discontent. Mm -hmm. So some kind of, you know, something that maybe you see um, when you look at the church, um, not necessarily like criticizing it, but, you know, because you love what the church could be, um, you know, a lot of times where church plants come out of is a desire to maybe try something different and reimagine a different kind of community. And, you know, being in L.A. for six years and, you know, we, to be honest, like we've, we felt like, um, you know, we, we loved our community at Sovereign Grace. It was our family. We had, you know, to both our children there. Um, we went through so much um, uh, with that community. My mm -hmm. wife during that time lost her mother to lung cancer. Oh, yes. And so um, our community kind of came alongside and sure, walked with yeah. us the entire way. And so, I mean, it was definitely our home. So, you know, we loved this church, but kind of zooming out and thinking about like the church capital C there were a lot of things that we were seeing um, that, I, you know, strangely enough, I think the pandemic just really continued to bring out. Mm -hmm. But a few things that we kind of were noticing um, was like uh, one was a huge divide between the pulpit and the pew. And what I mean by that is, you know, um, where ministry more and more felt like it was in the hands of just a few Kind of people who were seen as the elite Christians, and then everyone else was kind of just consuming the religious goods and services that those elite Christians were offering them. Especially in LA, you know, mm. consumerism is sure. um, has a stronghold in our city. Um, and then the second thing we were noticing is, was a huge divide between sacred and secular, where um, there was such a compartmentalization of faith, where you know people saw. Um, their faith as something you did for an hour on Sunday morning yes. that really had no impact on the way they lived their lives from Monday through Saturday. You know, it wasn't impacting the way they raised their kids or the, the decisions they were making, how they spent their money. Mm -hmm. And so we felt this burden to um, plant a very specific kind of community. I'm so sorry. Am I talking too much? No, this okay. is great. I'm, okay. I'm just really... Um, fascinated by all of it and I have so many questions that so many, a lot of thoughts just come to mind and I'm in agreement in in a lot of what you're saying so that's why my face is probably like in a day <laughs> please and at, at any point you can stop me and and tell me to stop talking no no but... this is wonderful I okay, please great. keep going um and so my wife has been in fashion so that's her industry and she's been in fashion ever since she graduated college um, she was in on the buying side for a while. Now mm -hmm. she's on the sales side. Okay. Um, so kind of like business is her sphere. Um, for me, like um, my sphere. So um, again, just to give you a little bit of background, um, I did the good first son of a Korean immigrant family thing. Um, I went to 
um, UPenn for undergrad, um, thought I was going to potentially, uh, I wanted to be an anchor man, you know, um, that's kind of why I went to, and then, um, my junior year uh, of college had this, made this decision, um, to like, instead of doing that to go into education. Uh -huh. So then I got my master's in education at Harvard. Oh gosh, um, you are and, a genius. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Not at all. And, and then I did the unthinkable. Um, and I did what, uh, like I basically, uh, pursued every <laughs> Korean parent's nightmare, which was like to spend all that money on an Ivy League education and then tell my parents that I wanted to be a musician uh, full time. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, um, like, a, like a, okay, I need to hear more of this. Like, what do yeah, you mean so, a musician? Like, um, So like basically like I, I, after grad school, I told my parents I'm going back to Philly to start a band and I'm just going to do music. Um, Holy smokes. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I mean, uh, so like um, my younger brother, he's an actor. And so um, I always joke around with people that between the two of us, we have accomplished the forbidden trifecta of <laughs> Korean, you know, it's, it's ministry, acting and uh, entertainment and music, you know. That is um, so funny. Oh my gosh. So, but yeah, your so brother I, is a very successful actor, I should add. He is a successful actor. He, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, he had some dark days, but um, he's been doing great. Yeah. Now, I mean, after so. Tim's story, I feel like that's pretty normal, right? Like, very normal. Dark days as an actor. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I just want to, I mean, shout out to Tim. Yes. Like, having like rubbed shoulders with so many different actors in LA and my brother would attest to this as mm. well. You will not find another human being like Tim really like in the acting world or just in humanity in general. Oh no, <laughs> trust me. After my one conversation with him, I am a, like a huge fan of Tim yes. Joe. <laughs> yes, I know. Usually I'm sure like you expect like usually when you have a conversation with someone kind of like they come down from the pedestal a little bit, but no. <laughs> with Tim, it, it always elevates. You yes. Know? My husband and I both have like a small crush on Tim just cause like, you're right. He is like, um, exactly, exactly what you said. But I think for me, it was just like, you can't, you can't hide a person's character and it just was exuding as he was, talking about his life and his experiences so yes i'm in complete agreement but yeah and um, one, one quick story about yes. him and my brother uh -huh. when my brother first moved to la um you know he like he really saw tim as kind of a mentor figure mm. to him and one of the one of the first experiences my brother had that i think speaks to like who tim is but also i think it speaks to like when people ask how do you kind of live out your faith in the workplace, yeah. like outside of church? Yeah. And I, you know, I think a lot of times we think it's, oh, like when you're in the waiting room for an audition, you like turn to someone and you start evangelizing to them. Uh, I mean, not that, that there's anything wrong with that, but I think like when a person follows it, when a person is, um, has a relationship with Jesus, like everything they yeah. do kind of exudes and embodies the gospel. And so like, for example, like my brother was telling me that um, uh, he, Tim and 
uh, he happened to be auditioning for the same role. Uh-huh. Um, you know, that happens a lot when, sure. when it comes <laughs> to Asian American actors because there's just so little, um, you know, so little roles. And um, like Tim went in first for his audition. And after he came out of the audition, like my brother was later on in the day, um, Tim called my brother and did like a thing that you never do as an actor because you're going to hundreds of auditions and you're just waiting for that one opportunity. Right, right. He basically calls my brother and he's like, hey, I think actually this is the perfect role for you and this is what they're going to ask you to do. This is what you should prepare for, you know, just letting you know they'll probably have you do this part. Um, and that's just, it's just unthinkable. And especially if you're in the industry for a while and you've experienced like most actors who've been doing it for a long time are extremely jaded and disillusioned, mm -hmm. understandably so. Yeah. But then you hear a story like that. And that is like, to me, that is the embodied gospel. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's insane. Did he get, did Justin get the role? I don't know if he got the role, <laughs> but that um, moment meant so much to yeah, him. Yeah, I'm sure. And you know, um, even for me, like, you know, it's, it's tempting to like want to ask those questions to an actor or somebody. Um, like, you know, you want to ask like, oh, do you take on the roles that are not, you know, of like line up with your faith and things like that. I didn't ask those things, but I like mm -hmm. wanted to. But he answered it even before I had asked it because he just said, when you go to set or you go anywhere, if you um, have a relationship with Jesus, you just bring Jesus with you. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what you're doing. And I was like, yes. <laughs> How that's that's the answer. Like, you know, and I was even myself. I'm like, am I doing that daily? <laughs> like, so good. It was so good. Yeah. And you are. I think this <laughs> podcast is a perfect example of that. So, um, but uh, man, that's a great story. Really but cool. anyway, sorry. Back to the that, that you know yes, we could you were definitely. A musician. I could, I could, you I went and started entire, a band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so just started a band, and um, you know, I was I did take a job like you know to make ends meet back at Penn, kind of doing um, urban education work. Okay. Um, you know, connecting um, the university to West Philly, which at the time was a very underserved community, and mm -hmm. so. Um, I did have a passion for that. Um, you know, that's what I studied in um, in grad school, and so um, so I was doing that, um, and then had that existential crisis five years later because um, I was doing music full time for a bit, and um, you know, was grinding. I mean, so many uh, like even your episode with Kevin, and so many of like. It resonates because, mm. you know, that struggle is real. And especially in Philly, it's so different from L.A. where mm. um, if you're a musician in Philly, you know, um, the question everyone asks after you say you're a musician is, well, what is your real job or what is your backup plan? You know, right, whereas right. like in L.A., it's one of the most amazing things about pastoring a church out here is mm. you meet people and seven out of ten are aspiring artists graphic creatives, designers, photographers, yeah. creatives, you know, so, um, culture, you know, it's, it's so different, but, um, yeah. So, I mean, five years later was trying to, you know, at some point I, I needed to eat. Um, so I was like, let's put this education to use. So I started, um, an SAT Academy <laughs> 
in Philadelphia. Um, it was what? like a, yeah, like a, for K through 12, it was like college consulting, but also like uh, after school um, tutoring and SAT prep. Um, and so I did that. Um, and then when I took the Sovereign Grace position, um, ended up selling the academy um, off to uh, three guys who like, thankfully, like they took it to the next level. Um, they expanded it to a couple more locations. Oh, wow. And so um, thankfully, it's been doing really well. And um, yeah, so then so anyways, all that to say, that's kind of where my background is in music and education. And so kind of fast forwarding back to the church plant, uh-huh. neither my wife or I were ever kind of, we didn't really see full-time vocational ministry anywhere in our future. Um, and so even the kind of church community or church plant we were thinking of, we just, our minds don't really think kind of mm. traditionally like that. And so um, at the time we were, we were praying and discerning what kind of a community we personally would want to be a part of. And we kind of stumbled on um, uh, this passage in Ephesians 4, where, um, you know, Jesus basically, uh, Paul is talking about um, Jesus who has ascended. And he basically talks about how, you know, when, uh, when Jesus ascends, Mm -hmm. he gives um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, you know, mm-hmm. um, to basically be the church, mm-hmm. to be the fullness of the body of Christ. And um, we took that and we said, huh, like apostles, prophets, evangelists, uh, shepherds, and teachers, like this is what Jesus envisioned for the body of Christ. And then we kind of combined that with Jesus um, calling the church a city on a hill. And so there was this idea of like calling us to be a city and then calling us to be um, these five kind of, um, yeah. Uh, and and so we, we said, who are the apostles in our city um, in LA? And we said, I think they're the entrepreneurs. You know, they're the ones who start things from scratch. They see problems and they find solutions to those problems. Then we said, who are the prophets in our city? And we said, I think they're the creatives. They're the ones who speak truth to power. They, mm-hmm. um, they uh, kind of expose the brokenness of our humanity, mm-hmm. um, you know, but they also show us beauty. Um, who are the evangelists of our city? The people who gather um, groups of people around in spaces. And we said, I think they're the hospitality workers, the Mm -hmm. coffee shop owners, the restaurant workers who bring people around a table to break bread, who are the shepherds in our community, the the parents and the healthcare workers, the people day to day caring um, for their loved ones, caring for people who are sick, emotionally, physically, um, spiritually, and then who are the teachers, um, Mm -hmm. the the teachers, you know, and so we said, like, what would it look like if we were somehow able to get all five of those entrepreneurs, creatives, parents, hospitality workers, and teachers all in one space together to form kind of a city within a city, you know? And so um, because my, um, you know, thankfully, like um, my, you know, the one good thing about going to Penn and, 
you know, having best friends and groomsmen who are all Wharton grads, we, we kind of, uh, decided we were going to like create this deck that we were going to, um, fundraise and find investors for kind of like to essentially buy a large space in LA. And we had talked to, you know, thankfully we have, um, friends who are, coffee shop owners here Mm -hmm. in LA who had agreed, who basically agreed to, Hey, if you can get us this amount of money, we will build a coffee shop in this space. Um, then we talked to some of our friends who are entrepreneurs. Um, at the time, you know, Tim's wife is, was, yeah, was an entrepreneur running her own kind of floral business. We had talked to different entrepreneurs. What would it look like about working out of this space? Mm -hmm. Um, maybe also creating a small co-working space there where, you know, a lot of people working remotely can use that space. And then we had talked to kind of our friends who were creatives, aspiring actors and musicians. We said, Hey, if we created a kind of like an after school learning center here in this space as well, would you be willing to come? We know all musicians need part-time jobs um, would you be willing to come teach music um, after school? And then at night, you could use that space for rehe- rehearsal space, studio space, performing arts space. Um, and then essentially the church would just rent that space on Sundays. Um, and the idea was that we're trying to move away again from that one hour event on Sunday and yeah. see like all of life as sacred. And so like, what would it look like for hospitality workers and parents bringing their kids, rubbing shoulders with creatives, teaching their kids, supporting them as they do their art, co- you know, people using the co-working space. And so where people kind of walk in and say, this feels like L.A., a coffee shop, musicians, like that's so L.A. And yet this feels kind of different, too, you know, and so. Um, it was the idea was to create these small communal hubs that reflect kind of the city, but also but more than anything reflect the values of heaven. And so the idea being that we're citizens of LA, but citizens of heaven. And at the time, we thought to ourselves, what would be a great name for like a space like this? And we said citizens, you know, because we could see that being a name of a coffee shop, but also a name of a learning center. Yes. And the name of, you know, um, and so the, the idea was our dream would have been to create a Citizens LA and then a Citizens Atlanta, Atlanta <laughs> a Citizens NY, a Citizens SF, just these small communal hubs that could be cities within a city. And it's like, you know, we're living in a post-Christian context where there is not really a cultural pool to go to church anymore. Uh-huh. Um, and so to ask like a you know, your friend who's not a believer to like come out to the Sunday service can be a bit overwhelming. Sure. You know, but, but what if you go to, you know, you're rubbing, you're going to this coffee shop every day, you know, and what if you and your parent friend are sending your kids to that same learning center every day? It's not much of a stretch to say, Hey, by the way, like there's a church that meets here on Sunday. Why don't you come Come with me. You've, you're familiar with the space. We we do life here together. And so, you know, to try to help people kind of view church a little bit differently to kind of, again, bridge those divides. Um, and then to see teachers and and those 
coffee shop owners and the entrepreneurs alongside pastors to be able to say, hey, we're all doing ministry together in this city and we need each other, um, especially, you know, because of where the world is right now. And so that was kind of like the dream. Uh Um, How's the dream going? Well, okay, so then there's a plot twist, okay? Okay, Uh, okay. Because then then, uh, we were like so set on this. We were getting ready to present this. And then um, in like in early 2019, the lead pastor of Sovereign Grace said, I shared with him this vision Mm -hmm. and he loved it. Um, But then he said, hey, like I'm actually going to step down you know, I feel God calling me to something else and the leadership and I would like you to step in oh into my this role. Goodness. And it was like a weird um, moment because like we did, we were like, what are you doing, God? Because yeah. that's not what we necessarily signed up for. Right. Um, you know, like now we were being asked to lead a church that was very much more of a traditional church. Mm. Um, Mind you, like I never like preached every week. You know, I, by that point I'd probably preached a total of like 15 sermons in my entire life. You know, I had never led and like led any kind of organization or church that large of that Mm. size. Um, And so like in some sense, it was um, half feeling extremely inadequate Mm -hmm. and, you know, like feeling like, oh, there's no way I could I could do that. Um, But two, feeling just a sense of like, ah, but then there's this other thing that we've really wanted to do. And I don't think we could do this if we if we step into this. And so at first, my wife and I were very resistant to that idea. And we we were extremely encouraged and and flattered that they thought of us yeah um but our our initial um gut response was to say no um but at the time like uh we were read uh i I was reading this book called life together by dietrich bonhoeffer and Mm -hmm. he in in the book he has this quote where he says um people who love community destroy it but people who love people create community wherever they go and um that really spoke to me because Mm -hmm. the idea was that sometimes when you fall so in love with a very specific ideal of what you want your community to be, Mm -hmm. um, you end up like actually like neglecting the very people God has placed right, right in front of you. Um, and God has entrusted to your care. And so that really humbled us a lot. And we realized that hey, this is a community that we do love deeply, mm-hmm. full of people we do love deeply. And mm-hmm. there's this opportunity that God is giving us, even though we feel completely inadequate. Um, and this is not how we scripted it out. Um, like, let's just take a step in faith. And like, we may have to kill this vision because there's no way, like we may see this as more of a 10 to 15 year project that we, you know, but our priority should be to care for these congregation members. And so we kind of had our like Abraham Isaac moment and kind of killed, but we actually felt like we killed that vision. And then 
stepped into this. Um, and our only ask was that if we step into this, can we actually change the name mm. and kind of replant the church mm. in a new location that is more maybe aligned with our vision to be more rooted in our city? Um, and then can we bring our own leadership, which was the launch team of this, the original, original Citizens, Citizens Vision? Um, and, you know, the leadership graciously said yes. And so that's exactly what we did. We kind of said, okay. And then November of 2019, we, became, you know, we moved to a new location where we are right now, a uh -huh. high school, and we launched as citizens, um, you know, with a new vision, new location, new leadership. Um, and then four months later, right. the entire world shut down. And so it was like a, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it was just God every time, every step of the way it was like, what are you doing? Right. God, you know, yeah. um, but, but in some, but, you know, I tell everyone, I mean, though I would never wish 2020 on anyone ever again, um, it was an interesting moment because for us, it was like a gift mm -hmm. because like we, you know, we kind of took a step out in faith and then just said, we're just going to maintain the way church has been going. And then all of a sudden, four months in, everything, every preconceived notion about church yeah. just like completely shattered, right. you know, and yes. the huge reset button, the one hour Sunday event was gone, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and now people had to figure out what does faith look like yes. when it's just me Monday through Sunday or me and my family Monday through Sunday without events, without programs. Um, and so like in a lot of ways we were able to lean in more deeply into mm. the original like DNA yeah. of citizens. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, at, at every step in, you know, at every moment it was like this huge, like, what are you doing, God? And then in hindsight, it was like, no, like this was, this was the plan all mm -hmm. along. Mm -hmm. So I am oh so gosh. sorry. That's, that's, a, that was a mouthful. It but. was, it was so great. And it's so, you're right. It was a lot. And I'm <laughs> wrapping my head around everything because like all of it is just so, um, so God, I don't know, like, because like, so many things happened. Um, I do want to rewind just a little bit, yes, if you don't please. mind. <laughs> um, you know, when you said that you and your and your wife um, decided to take up the position at Sovereign Grace um, when you were living in Philadelphia, um, like, what was that? Was there something like, was there a calling or were you, what was was there something that happened or, you know, cause you had, you had mentioned that you had never thought about going into ministry vocationally full time. Yeah. That's actually a great question. And, you know, like I was having one of my existential crises <laughs> and, you know, the, the way that, um, anyone who's done an SAT Academy, um, you know, in Korean, it's Hagwon, mm -hmm. uh, anyone who's ever done one and kind of get, gets past that, like, third year mark and then things are going well and so the 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 academy was doing well and the thing about it is it's very cyclical because you know there's a fall semester sure, spring yeah. semester summer and then the students just you know you basically once they're in the system you have them forever mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so 
there was a part of me that said, okay, am I like, I could definitely do this and I could find, see myself like 20 years later waking up and having just been like a Hagwon owner, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and not that there's anything wrong with that. But the question for me that I was posing to myself is, was I okay with that? Mm. You know, and my wife has kind of seen me through like even my music days and when I was starting the um, Hagwon and, you know, kind of has been with me throughout that process. And so even she was asking like, you know, we're comfortable and we're fine, but is that what you really want to do? And so when this opportunity came up, I think if someone said like, hey, do you want to be a pastor at our church? I think that would have been easy no. But it was like an interesting thing because it was like, do you want to come be a worship director in L.A.? And I'm from (laughs) Cerritos, so my parents are here. Okay. So for me, it was like on many levels, it was like you get to go home. Um, Like, you know, you get to go back to your hometown. Mm Um, And the way that the job was presented to me was, okay, um, you're going to be a big part of your job is going to be doing music and you have to under and and caring for like uh, other creatives and musicians. And just by being in nature of LA, most of the people on the worship team at the church are going to be aspiring musicians. Mm -hmm. So it was that, Mm -hmm. um, which like, I have a huge heart for that. Mm -hmm. Then they said, the second thing is, yeah, we, we'd love for you to also be able to do some teaching, mm-hmm. you know, if you can. And education being my background, I, I said to myself, oh, like, great. And then they said, you know, our church is only five years old. So in some sense, you know, you kind of might have to wear an entrepreneur hat a little bit and do a lot of different things. And we're kind of still in startup mode. Been there, and done so, that. <laughs> been there, done that, you know. So it, like in a weird way, it presented like almost like the culmination of everything I had done up to that point. Yeah. Um, And then for my wife, it wasn't the hardest sell because she was in New York. We were long distance for four and a half years of our dating relationship um, because she was working in New York doing fashion. But once we got married, it was probably the better, more stable financial decision for her to move down to Philly. Mm. But in Philly, there is really nothing in fashion, sure. okay. you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so like L.A. Is, it was an interesting proposition mm. for her yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. Because, um, you know, she was she knew she could probably find something pretty quickly. And, you know, L.A. also being one of the hubs of the fashion industry. And so. so so kind of like a lot of the pieces were aligned, right. which is why, you know, it but she did just... feel kind of like baited, like she felt like it was a little bit of a bait and switch, you know, because like when she <laughs> married me, she she did not marry anyone going into ministry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. That's funny. Oh, my goodness. So everything, I mean, so basically the culmination of your life led up to this moment is what you're saying. (laughs) No, exactly. Exactly. We had no choice at that point. Oh, wow. That's crazy. That's so crazy. Um, Can I ask you when you um, began your relationship with Jesus? Like, was it in high school or like, when did that happen for you? Yeah. I mean, um, I grew up in the church. Okay. And so as long as I remember, like, um, 
Like I, I really do see myself as being having been raised into the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, I would say, you know, obviously I probably had like that, like, ah, uh, like that real mm-hmm. like emotional moment when sure. I went to my first youth retreat in sixth grade. Um, but like, like, for example, like at our church, we, we baptize infants and mm-hmm. I know not all churches baptize infants, but at our church, we baptize infants. And one of the things I always say is, you know, like we want these children one day to make their own profession of faith. Mm-hmm. And we want them to claim this identity for themselves, but it would be foolish, uh, to say that like, if, and when that moment happens, that that moment happened like in a vacuum. Mm. Um, and like when I look at my kids as well, it's like um, I pray that one day they would have a relationship with Jesus and claim that relationship for themselves. But I know that even that moment is going to have been the culmination of just the ways that they've been loved and cared for by yeah. this community and raised into the faith. And I really feel like that was my journey <gasps> with Jesus as what well. What a blessing. Yeah. That is huge man, blessing. Yeah. So great. Um, okay. So you went to be a worship director at Sovereign Grace. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for those listening, I'm, I'm probably going to title the, this episode, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a pastor. Um, so, you know, for those maybe that are in, listening and are, are interested in um, going into ministry and being a pastor, um, uh, what, what, what point did you decide to go to seminary? Yeah. So I, I decided to go to seminary right when I moved. Okay. Um, Oh, so like right when you came from Philly. Yeah. Right when I came from Philly, not necessarily because I thought that that was going to lead to me becoming a pastor. Uh Um, but more so like it, it was two things. One was my wife being like, yo, we're not going to uproot our entire lives here just for you to go lead worship mm. somewhere in LA, you know, like I want, I want there to be I'd like, love to meet your wife one day. <laughs> she's, she's, uh, she's spicy. You yeah. know, I think you would love her. Yeah. Um, but you know, so it was like, you know, I want there to be like basically a plan, you mm. know? Um, and she was like, unless you want to, con- you know, like, like if this is, you know, we're, it's still full-time ministry. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that was one, but the other side of it is that like, personally, like I love to learn. I can um, tell. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, I, I think like, you know, I wanted to do a good job mm. and I wanted to learn and be like theologically trained because as having led worship and I'm sure your husband can attest to this as well, like it's such a, it's such a weighty responsibility, you know, um, to, you know, it's, you're, you're, it's half the service is, is the singing and the praise. And so, um, I wanted to make sure like, um, I had a theological foundation. And so, Mm -hmm. um, I started seminary then, I would, I went at a snail's pace because I was working full time. So I could only take like one or two classes, Mm -hmm. um, a quarter. And then I I mentioned this earlier, but we had so many like life events happen as well. Um, that kind of kept dragging it out. So that's why I was still back in seminary in 2019. So six years later. Yeah. Okay. Well, Mm -hmm. that's really encouraging because maybe one day if I decide to start seminary, 
um, I don't feel so rushed, you know? Yeah, like, <laughs> no, yeah, take your time. And I, I find actually like in a, in a weird way, um, parents mm. who like, you know, I, some of my class, a lot of my classmates were just out of college, you know, but a lot of my classmates were also like people who'd been in the real world for a while or parents who now that their kids were a little older, they could kind of, they had mm -hmm. time to study. And I would say this is a generalization, but it was always the people who were a little older um, and especially those with kids mm -hmm. who, for whom I think seminary was just so life-giving. Um, wow. Because I, you know, there is that like um, saying that seminary is like, Yes. More like cemetery, you yes, know, for I most people. I hear that often, actually. It's kind yeah. of scary. And, you know, I do think there are, like, I, I definitely don't know that seminary is for everyone. And I, I think seminary is kind of overrated, too. Mm. Um, but I find that, like, you just see, like, this, like, hunger to, like, learn. Mm. Um, and then people who've kind of, like, I'm sure as a mom, you know this to um, to such a greater degree. But, like... They're so much more like efficient with their time, you know, <laughs> you have to be It's no you know, choice. <laughs> so good at multitasking, you know, and so like they're always like mm. they're on time, ready to learn, hungry. And and so all this. Well, I guess that's something maybe I can look forward to soon. But yeah, um, uh, well, OK, man, you're just your life is so um complex very, very complex yeah <laughs> frustrating in, in the best ways possible i just have so many questions and so many different tangents and i'm trying to like stay no, focused on what it is that i'm trying to ask but um you know you were saying oh 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 just a quick side note so like uh what do you play <laughs> um so i am a guitarist okay um <laughs> Yeah, I I mean I did a I was like a singer songwriter for a little oh, bit. Oh wow! Um, so after the band, then I did kind of my own solo stuff for a bit. Um, is this all available but, like to the public? Um, can it I just is, Google but it? I just I I choose not to <laughs> mention where you can find it. Okay, well I know what I'm doing after this episode. But, um, okay, so um. You finished seminary then? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so I, I'm curious to, uh, do you find that, um, oh man, sorry. I'm so sorry. My thoughts are so jumbled right now. No, um, go for I it. I apologize. My but, life is um, jumbled, so it works <laughs> out. Yeah. Um, so like what has been the most challenging a thing for you now as a kind of newly replanted church. Um, I know the pandemic, I'm sure, was interesting for you guys. Uh, I can't imagine, like, you know, and as you were explaining, you know, it was a really t a time for people to kind of face their own uh, reality of maybe mm -hmm. where they stood in their faith or maybe lack thereof. Um, even here in Atlanta, the culture was exactly that. I can speak to my own church where people mm. were just going through it or realizing that they didn't have anything at all. And it was really eye-opening for a lot of us. Um, but I can't imagine having to like, you just started church in November 2019. And then all of a sudden, it's like, what do we do 
we don't no one has a framework for this you know yeah um but yeah like some what were some challenges that you faced maybe not just to the pandemic but even just like starting a church as a new head pastor yeah um i mean like it was it was so it was like being thrown into the deep end mm. because you know when i first took the role i met up with all the lead pastors that i could think of you know my mentors but also people in this area and i asked them what can i what should i expect you know and and many of them would say things like well you know as a lead pastor you're probably going to have to lead your congregation through seasons of transition you're going to have to walk with people through a lot of grief mm. um you're going to have to probably tackle some difficult social issues mm. um you may have to like wade into like kind of like having to talk about politics um you know um but they you know they were kind of like but don't worry you know there are seasons for all of these things mm. you're never going to have to do them at the same time yeah. but then 2020 happened and then it was all at the same time mm. you know because it was like um, yeah, there was so much grief, you know, very early on in the pandemic, we had people in our congregation lose loved ones to COVID. So it was yeah. COVID was like extremely real for us yeah. early on. Um, you know, there was the transition of being just even trying to establish an identity as a new church. Yeah. Um, you know, and then kind of people dealing with so much mental health, um, issues, loneliness, depression, anxiety, during the pandemic, mm. marital issues, like marriages really struggled yeah. during the pandemic, yeah. My, our marriage included. Yeah. Um, and um, and then that's not even, to, we haven't even gotten to all the social issues, yes. you know, um, from racial justice, um, you know, to now, you know, now with Roe v. Wade, yes. um, just so many different things. And so I would say, um, I, I think if I could, pinpoint like i would say navigating especially like our current kind of like the current division in our country mm -hmm. has been probably the most challenging thing within as your a congregation or just like as a public figure in a church setting or all of the um, above <laughs> yeah maybe all of the above mm -hmm. but you know it, like um I'm an extremely non-confrontational person. Right. Um, I'm not a like take the bull by the horns kind mm -hmm. of person. You know, I'm a, I'm not sure if you're into Enneagram, but I'm a nine on the Enneagram. I don't know uh, much, but I know nines are pretty, pretty peaceful people. Yeah. We're called <laughs> the peacemakers right. and we're conflict averse. Uh -huh. And, you know, so there are many days, I think during the past couple of years when I really felt like I should not be in this role because mm -hmm. sometimes I would feel like our congregation needs like someone to just be like, this is what we believe. This is how we're standing and this is where we're going, mm. you know, but that's just not my MO and that, mm. that, you know, and I myself am wrestling through these issues in real time. So the challenge of like one, having to shepherd a congregation that comes from different you know, political backgrounds, um, have, they all have different experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, even when we were talking about racial justice, being in LA, you have people who lived through the riots, yeah. um, whose parents had stores during the riots, um, you know, and so 
like to be kind of wrestling through it yourself and yeah. you like trying to kind of you know like asking for god for wisdom for yourself for your own just like you know discipleship but then like every sunday being asked to get up there and and give a statement to like hundreds of people right. who right. are waiting for you to tell them what you think what should yeah what should i think what should yeah. i think like just the pressure mm -hmm. and you know and then feeling like i was letting people down or mm -hmm or saying what some people maybe didn't want to hear. And so, um, yeah, that part has been emotionally draining. I'm sure. Yeah. Especially if you're an Enneagram nine, like it must be really difficult to have to face those things. I feel like, um, yeah, what you just said, emotionally draining, knowing these things and, and, and it's, really literally probably eating you up inside wondering what people want or what they're thinking <laughs> yeah. it's so hard it's so hard Gosh. and and then now that everything's kind of recorded like you know like people most people have the ability to change their minds you know yeah and there have been times when like you know i've probably said something or i said something in a sermon like a year ago where like now i i probably disagree with myself yeah. you know yeah, yeah. but it's like it's all on the internet and you know like you were preaching the word of god mm. and so there's just yeah it's like a weird kind of pressure and yeah, i'd yeah, say that's yeah. probably the most difficult aspect um, i posturing. mean but you guys do get kind of controversial on your podcast <laughs> we we do but I, I would say you know it's funny like i would say um in the most asian american way you know? I agree. You guys are very like um, cordial to each other, and and I love it. I love it. By the way, we love each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, I um, I did ask some people if they had questions for you before you came on, and mm -hmm. some really good ones came up. It's not really pertaining to like you know when I grow up I want to be a pastor, but I felt like they are very relevant things, um, especially okay so. Um, for sure, L.A. is very uh, ahead and I would even say progressive when it comes to, I think, the Korean immigrant ch church and the Asian American church. Um, mm -hmm. We have very few models of that here in Atlanta. Um, so I like I can't speak to any of the culture, really. But um, so have you ever worked as a pastor or in ministry in the Korean immigrant church context? No. Okay. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a Korean immigrant church, but uh -huh. again, in, in Orange County. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then I served and was very involved in like second gen Asian American churches on the East Coast, okay. but never at, like in vocational ministry. Okay. Um, so maybe this is not relevant to you, but, <laughs> but um, what do you think the future of the Korean American church is? And what is a model that will work between KM and EM? Do you have any opinions about this? Ooh, that's a tough one. We actually did. We actually did an episode on that on our pod as well. And that that's a really, that's a good question. Okay. You know, like with, with KM, EM, uh, I'll say this, I'm, I'm not sure. And I haven't really, to be honest, seen that many healthy KMEM models. Yeah, it's tough. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure you. <laughs> I'm sure you could actually answer that question. You know better than 
better than me? Well, actually, no. Act- at my church, um, I have it pretty good. Um, my my head pastor is extremely for the second gen and gives us a lot of autonomy. Um, but of course, you know, I have friends that work in ministry too, and it is a struggle. It's the tensions are real. Um, the culture is real, you know. Yeah. Uh, the hierarchy oh, yeah. is real, and um, yeah. But I will have to re- refer back to the off the pulpit podcast because I'd love yeah. to hear what all three of you have to say. Yeah, I mean, and um, we've probably changed our mind on right. like, <laughs> half of those things by now. Um, but I will say that I think I I, I do think like. Um, there are like I love the idea of an interdependent model mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. when it's done well, and I would say one thing that would need to happen is um, I think the KM not only would have to give kind of like the EM and the next generation like their own autonomy, mm-hmm. but almost and this part is going to be hard because of the cultural elements of it. But I almost feel like they at some point would need to put like give them the the reins mm. you know like uh, like most of the models are like the EMs always get the bad service times and you know they like they're like they're they're supporting one another and you can have autonomy but still the KM is the yeah, like, like we still refer to them as the adults. You know? The adults, exactly, <laughs> like exactly. Like the parents. <laughs> um, but we're adults and, I almost and parents like ourselves. That, like. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And I feel like that has to be switched mm. um, for it to work in the long run. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. I think, you know, um, culturally just here in our city, this in Atlanta in particular, just... Um, yeah, I just don't think we're far enough ahead yet Mm. like as far as like the the types of families that live here um and but i don't i don't know much just know kind of what goes on around me um but you know jason i have to be honest about something the reason my thoughts are really jumbled is because um what you said about citizens and the original vision that was kind of killed and put to the side for a little while, um, like really excites me Hmm. and I can't stop thinking about it. And I think that's why I'm like, what am I trying to say? Because (laughs) because, um, for me, like that's kind of like my dream, (laughs) (laughs) but like, but, but like I never, could put like words to it Mm. um you know i think so there was a time uh right before like right after i got married right before i had my first son and right before i got pregnant that um a ministry partner and i we had the opportunity to someone so someone from the km first gen said hey i have a space and it's empty and i want you guys to use it for second gen right and Mm. so i'm like okay right so we start <laughs> working on stuff um but ever since i was like i want to even say like in high school i always had this idea of like what if there was like a place that wasn't starbucks where we could actually do something productive with our time and be resourced and like you know like like it's not just conversation but it's like true fellowship that's happening and people are growing from it and then with that, I just kind of, you know, tabled it and then I just, you know, lived my life. And then 
um, yeah, it turned into this idea of like, I mean, exact for me, the the conduit right now is the podcast, right? Like, mm-hmm. I would love, you know, a a place that what you exactly described, like, and to be able to like provide workshops, you know, for young people that have no idea, like, what is Photoshop or what, you know, like, what are yes. these things that maybe I have an opportunity to learn as a young person. And be even better as an older person. You know what I mean? Um, and so I, you're talking, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's it. That's 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 what it looks like. I'll see you but in LA soon. I, <laughs> I couldn't like I, yeah, I was just really shocked. I think because, um, in my head, like spaces like that, I'm like. Okay, so if you talk to my husband or any other person that knows me, like, I, I have a lot of ideas, but, like, none of them make money, Jason. Zero. Like, zero money is made. And so my husband gets really frustrated. He's like, that's great, hun, but, like, how are you, like, how can we, you know, sustain, right? I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't have no idea. Yeah, I, don't, but, I, um, I haven't thought about that part. Yeah. But, just to be but, like, everything you were saying, it just, like, makes so much sense and for me I always thought oh like I don't know my the only model I have would be like a coffee shop right like Mm -hmm. that would be the money thing and then everything else would happen just around it (laughs) yeah but anyways I mean because it was funny because when I was doing the SAT Academy a lot of the parents would say the thing they would drop their kids off and say hey is there anywhere I could get coffee around here for an hour while my kids are here because I don't want to drive all the way back home. Right, right, right. So it's like they're paying for the tutoring, but they also would love to just go grab a cup of coffee for an hour, you know, and hang out. And so, you know, if they were all inhabiting one space, it would be kind of awesome. Amazing would that be? Mm -hmm. Anyways. (laughs) One day, Lord. So I'm sorry. That's why I'm like, okay, what do I ask you? I have to... Uh, I apologize. I'm no, so not at all. This is great. Um, I'm but, I'm so glad. I'm. It's so encouraging that you're so. I'm excited that you're excited. Yeah, like so. Um, please bring it back to life, and then and then you can make one here. That would be amazing. <laughs> yes, you'd be um, the first person I call. If yes. That ever oh happens. my goodness. Yeah. Please, please. We'll be we'll be happy happy to facilitate. Uh, maybe one day. Please, God. <laughs> Um, well, Jason, um, with all that being said, like right now, um, what what does the church look like for you? Like, um, what does your everyday look like? Yeah, um, every day is <laughs> very different. Yeah, you know, as as people know, it's like pastoring is definitely not your typical nine to five. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's. Oh, I think I may have lost you. Can you hear me? Yes, I'm here. Okay, cool. Um, Yeah, definitely different from uh, like a typical nine to five. I think probably easiest to like actually talk about more like a a typical week. Okay. Um, And I'd probably put it into like um, five buckets maybe. Um, So like, you know, and we're talking about maybe like an ordinary week, not like, you know, Easter or something. Okay. okay. (laughs) Which those weeks get crazy. Um, Yes. But, you know, I'd say, like, um, the first bucket would be, like, um, just sermon prep, mm-hmm. which 
takes a good chunk of my time. And if you probably talk to pastors who preach week to week, they'll tell you that like all of life becomes sermon prep. Mm-hmm. Like you, there's the hours you actually sit down and you're looking at your commentaries and reading your books and, and writing. But then even when you're watching Netflix right. and, you know, playing with your kids, every time you're like, huh, could that be a sermon, a sermon illustration? Point. You know, yeah. a sermon point or something. Um, so there, there's like that, which takes a lot of my time. I would say the second bucket would be pastoral care. Mm. And so that's like, um, general counseling, premarital counseling, marital counseling, hospital visitations, Mm -hmm. like meals and coffee with church members. Um, third bucket would be like admin. So a lot of email responding to emails and, you know, uh, looking through forms and, you know, creating like, yeah. Um, admin, the boring stuff. Um, and then the fourth bucket would be like meetings, you know, um, all different kinds of meetings. Like we have all staff meetings Mm -hmm. on Tuesday, but I also have meetings with like different pockets of staff, like our education staff Mm -hmm. or our like worship and media staff. Um, some meetings are like more logistical. Some are more ideation kind of dreaming about things, um, kind of meetings, Some are like finance, um, business meetings. And so a lot of meetings. Um, And then probably the fifth bucket is like the actual execution of everything. So like Sundays, teaching classes or seminars during the week, weddings, Mm -hmm. funerals. um, And so all of that in some way, shape or form probably like is like in a a typical week. Um, But as you can probably imagine, like... um, there's always interruptions um, and emergencies and unusual things that happen in ministry. Is it difficult for you, um, you know, because you're investing into people all the time. You're having these meetings, you're, you know, doing visitations and things like that. Um, You know, how do you balance family and church life and the obligations that a pastor carries? Yeah, I mean I'm I'm still learning that for mm-hmm. sure. Um I try my best now to kind of protect my time with family, so to create certain boundaries and actually the pandemic helped a lot with yes. this in a weird way because um I think I would have been the type of person that would have been prepping my sermon all the way up to the buzzer on Sunday. Like I think naturally I would be like that. I'm kind of a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. But what happened during the pandemic was like, because we were pre-recording our services, I had to finish my sermons by Friday, you know, and we would record. Um, And then like Saturday was just family time because I was, I had already preached the sermon. So great. And then Sunday I actually just worshiped with my family, you know, like, like, like a, like a regular church goer. And that was so important Mm. for us to start ministry like that um and so like um even now now that even though we're back in person i've tried to keep that same rhythm so i try to have my sermon done by friday Mm. and then i try not to do like saturday afternoons are often there are like weddings or like first birthdays or like Mm -hmm. there are things that i have to do but for sure usually like 
Saturday morning and if if possible Saturdays in general are like our family days you know um, Um, yeah I mean I agree with you I think the pandemic itself like forced those in ministry to just lay like because you know there were no events there were no small groups there were no um, anything like that but in in a lot of ways even for our family it was truly um in a weird way a blessing as well so i i totally hear what you're saying but yeah i mean i think even um like growing up right like i even in the korean context of church like i think there is this weird stigma right with pks like pastors kids Mm -hmm. and stuff and um even myself i never imagined me being in ministry in this capacity and like looking at my kids and like oh like they are pastors kids you know <laughs> um and um i think the culture of of the km ministry like koreans um especially if they're in pastoral positions um yeah like i mean i i saw it growing up you know it uh, the the amount of work they put in seem to in their heads equate to their relationship with Jesus or their faith in it. Honestly, a lot of my friends who are pastors, kids, um, like suffered from it, mm-hmm. if I'm honest. And, um, but as someone in ministry, there are parts of me that like kind of get it. And so like you saying that, you know, really protecting that time, I think it's so important, you know, to consider if you're going into ministry or thinking about going into ministry and how you're going to navigate. Because, again, it goes back to what you were saying, you know, about how, um, you know, should you invest in what 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 could be or maybe in what's in front of you is Mm. what God is giving you now and being faithful to that, like your family. Um, So I appreciate you sharing uh, that part of your life. Yeah. And I mean, you know, just some, one of the things like sometimes I, I, and I, I say this, like, I feel guilty almost saying this because sometimes I, the thought crosses my mind, like, uh, like if I weren't married or if I didn't have kids, Mm. I could do so much more Mm. in ministry, Mm. you know? Um, like I could accomplish so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- and I realize, you know, God has really kind of been working on that part of mm. my heart, mm-hmm. um, you know, and teaching me how to see my limitations as a gift, yeah. you know, to, um, not only to keep me dependent, but also t- dependent on him, but mm-hmm. also to, um, yeah, uh, in, in some sense, I think to protect, protect me, mm. you know, yeah, um, yeah. um, and so, yeah, and that's something I'm learning like all the time, yeah, you know, and so, I think you're doing that as well. I mean, even the fact that you have to do this podcast at <laughs> 11 p.m. your time, you know, I mean, that's that's insane. But at the end of the day, it's because we love it, right? Yes, we love, yes, we love it. Is what it is. Um. Well, I probably could talk to you for hours, Pastor Jason. So I, but I will um, 
try to wrap it up a little bit um, yes. since we are coming up to a, a little over an hour now. Um, and thank you so much again for sharing so much of your story. Um, I'm really excited to see the future of citizens and um, what is to come and how God will continue to use in your, you and your community. Um, but I always ask people the same question. Um, and someone actually asked me to ask this to you as well. Um, but it's usually like, oh, do you have any advice, like life advice? But um, also someone asked is like, was there anything that you wish you had known before going into ministry? Um, I feel like that's kind of a tough question. But um, yeah, so do you have any advice? It could be life advice. It could be about ministry. Maybe someone that's thinking about going into um ministry as a pastor, anything at all? Yeah, um, I would say um, don't worry or be afraid if your life doesn't make sense yet. Mm. Um, like uh, one of the things is like when I look at even my wife, um, something I always envied about my wife's life was always like she was one of those people who right after college went into the fashion industry and like never left. Mm. And it was like clear trajectory, you know, it was just moving up the ranks. You know, I look at my friends who um, end up becoming doctors, you know, there's a clear template for them to follow and their years are already mapped out for them. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, when I became a pastor, like uh, officially the pastor in 2019, um, at the time I was 30, 36. Um, and my first thought was, God, if I was going to end up here and if you were going to lead me here, why did you take me on that like wild ride through mm -hmm. all these things that had nothing to do with this? You know, like, why did you put such a passion in my heart for music? Mm. And why did I, I give those five years of my life to doing it full time when I could have been in seminary then mm. before marry, marriage with kids? You know, um, God, if you knew I was going to be a pastor, why did I go through all that heartache of starting that business and all those late nights like, you know, building Ikea tables in that Hagwon. And like, there was, there were so many things where like, I just felt so late, mm -hmm. like in the game, you know, and I felt like all my peers, like by this point have been pastoring for years. And like, how am I going to learn how to preach every week at this age mm -hmm. in this life stage? And how am I going to lead this church? Like in this time, you know, and I, just felt so much imposter syndrome. And um, it was interesting. Like, um, I think it was like maybe a couple months in. So two things happened. It was a couple months in um, to pastoring. And I was like, you know, I was having a pity, throwing a pity party for myself about how like, preaching every week is so hard to it do is hard because though. <laughs> it is very hard. It is very hard. And I, I, how I was like, you know, I'm so late and mm. like, I'm just like, I'm such a rookie. And one of my friends was like, 
well, what do you, well, well, like, what do you have to do, you know, when you um, prepare a sermon? And I remember saying, well, I mean, you probably, you have to study a text and then you probably have to find some kind of main idea or hook, you know, um, you know, because it's like a 20 to 30 minute, like monologue, mm -hmm. you have to build tension, you know, and, it, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're bringing people to the gospel mm -hmm. and you're connecting trying to connect the story of the Bible, the story of God to their story. Mm -hmm. And the guy in passing just said, huh, that's sounds like kind of sounds like writing a song. Um, and like, I remember like he said it on a whim, but I remember like going home being like, huh, like when I write music, yeah. it was a hook. And there was building tension wow. and there was connecting my story to their story. Um, and then it was like God being like, you think like I was sending you on this like wild goose chase. Like, mm. Jason, I've been preparing you for this your whole yes. life, you know, um, like with the like in with the Hagwon, yeah. like all those trying to start like something from scratch. Being in the pandemic and trying like having nothing to work with and no yeah. frame of reference. I felt like God was saying, I've been preparing you for this. Yes. You, you've done this before, yes. you know, um, teaching youth and connecting, trying to connect with the next generation. When I see our youth students and our children, yeah, I feel like God saying, remember that, mm -hmm. you know? And so in some sense, like my encouragement for, I know there are a lot of young people who feel like, uh, is what I'm doing right now going to be like exactly what I'm doing later? Maybe or maybe not. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a deep like comfort and assurance that all of it matters. And yes. God is writing a unique story yeah. um, in your life. Absolutely. So. And I, I'm sure you can attest to when you see it all come together to like you can't I mean, I've, I've had moments like that in my life and, and then I start over and I feel like I'm in, you know, the trenches again. But however, um, in those moments, it's like, um, for me, it's like, oh, how, how small I feel in the bigger picture of what God is doing, not just in my life, but the people around me. And so it really is a testament to, to uh, like us not being in control, I feel yeah. like, and just trusting, trusting, which is really mm -hmm. hard. <laughs> Very hard. So hard. So, so hard. hard. <laughs> but so good. Um, well, thank you again, Pastor Jason. Um, not to put you on the spot, but if uh, someone maybe has more questions for you, would you be okay with me connecting you with them? A hundred percent. Nothing I like to do more than, awesome. than awesome. that. That's actually how I'm like. That's how I connected with Kevin, you know, like we met on Clubhouse. Oh, you did? We met on Clubhouse. He just happened to be in a room I was hosting and he reached out to me. And like that small connection led to us like connecting wow. when he moved to L.A. And now to see him like serving at our church. and That's amazing. And being awesome. I did you not know. know that. That's pretty cool. It's the best. <laughs> what a good yeah. story. Um, but yes, like he just said, um, Jason is 
totally up for chatting. So if you have questions, you know, don't be scared. I feel like a lot of you um, maybe get intimidated because I would too. Um, but this is us giving you permission to ask questions um, and uh, be resourced uh, through this podcast. Um, you guys, if, if you want to reach out, please feel free to DM me on social media or you can email me at podcastwigu at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks again, Pastor Jason. Until next time. Bye.